Well, good morning, everyone. Um, lovely to see you here this morning. My name's Marshall. I'm one of the pastors here um, this morning, and it's my joy and pleasure to be able to share with you. Uh, well, most of you will find this hard to believe, but there was a time when I was young and fresh-faced, uh, being, uh, and I was a, a uni student. I studied arts at uni, and being an arts student, my day mostly consisted of going between the coffee shop, the front lawn and perhaps Manning Bar in the afternoon. Oh yeah, sometimes my routine was interrupted by the occasional lecture or tutorial. Well, it was on one such typical day that I was sitting on the, my usual spot on the front lawn having lunch when two people came up to me. Uh, they introduced themselves as Christians who like to talk about Jesus. Now, this seemed a very strange thing to me, but despite that, uh, something in me made me say yes. I agreed to them talking to me. That was a moment that would change my life. I ended up meeting this couple, Phil and Susie were their names, over the course of the next four weeks, about four more times. That led to me also reading through John's Gospel and putting my trust in Jesus at the end of that time. It seemed like this completely random event. Phil and Susie could have met anyone. Uh, I just happened to be sitting on the lawn when they happened to come up, uh, or they could have been in any place, but it happened that I was there at the right time. But looking back on that now, what seemed like a coincidence to me was very much God working to bring us together. In his kindness, he orchestrated events that led to me coming to know Jesus. And in the story that we read today, we only read half the story, uh, um, two-thirds of chapter 9, we're going to look at 9 and 10, but we'll see in that story God at work by pulling the strings to bring a young nobody called Saul across the path of a prophet called Samuel. He works through a whole chain of apparently random, trivial events to bring these two together to bring Israel a king. And by doing that, God shows in his kindness, shows his kindness to Israel, in providing them for someone who, as we'll see, will save Israel from the Philistines. And God continues to be kind and gracious to his people, despite their sinfulness and rebellion in rejecting him and demanding a human king just like the nations around them. So that's where we're going. Why don't you pray with me as we come to God's word? Father, we thank you for 1 Samuel 9 and 10 and, and this story, uh, this rich story of how you brought Saul to become king. We pray, Lord, that you will give us ears to hear the details uh, and a heart that is soft to hear what you have to say to us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as usual, I've got three points. The first one is, that, uh, is God's hidden kindness. God's hidden kindness. We see that in the first half of chapter 9 through this pretty long and involved story 
about a man and his lost donkeys. Now, I want you to imagine for a second uh, that you're hearing this story for the first time. I know most of you are very familiar with the story and how it ends up uh, with Saul as king. But just imagine that you don't know how it's going to end. Try to ignore the heading at the beginning of chapter 9 in your Bibles. That's not in the original text. So imagine you don't know that this Saul was going to be king and you don't know how it was going to end. At the end of chapter 8, you remember from last week, Israel had asked for a king. The last thing that we hear in chapter 8 is God telling Samuel to give them what they asked for, to give them a king. And then we're told now at the beginning of chapter 9 that about Saul, son of Kish, from the tribe of Benjamin, going to look for his dad's lost donkeys. Suddenly we go from the huge political events that are going to shape a nation and the direction of Israel in chapter 8 to these to some nobody in the sticks who's lost his donkeys in chapter 9. And you're wondering as the reader, what on earth has this got to do with what's gone on before? Where on earth is this story going? To start with, if you're an attentive listener, um, you're a Hebrew who understands Hebrew, and if you speak Hebrew you would know that Saul's name is significant because the word Saul is the same as the Hebrew word for ask, as in ask for something, ask a question. So you hear that this bloke is called asked for and you think that's a very strange name. Kish from the tribe of Benjamin has a son called asked for. And you wonder what on earth is going on. We'll come back to that. Well, then the author, as we heard read to us um, from Aaron, launches into this great long story with a whole heap of details about uh, who Saul and his servant speak to uh, in order to try to track down these donkeys. Saul's servant suggests that they, uh, they find... Um, a prophet called Samuel. Um, well, they don't say his name at this stage, but this prophet might be able to tell them what's, what's happened to the donkeys. So they agree, Saul agrees that's a good idea. They try to find this prophet. Then there's more detail about what gift to give the man of God. Then the servant finds a coin to give him. Then there's more. As they go into the city to to, to find where this man of God is. They meet some young women by a well. They point him in the right direction. And all the while, you as the reader are left wondering, what is going on here? Why all this great long detail? The reader doesn't know. Saul doesn't know what's going on. What they don't know is that actually that it is God who is behind all this. The point of the story is to show how God brought Saul and Samuel together. And we'll see in a minute why that happens. But just for a moment, pretend that we're still in the dark. 
the whole point of the story is still a mystery. What's going on? Saul thinks that it's all about finding donkeys. He's still in the dark about what God's doing. Now, not knowing the end of the story is how we live the life of faith, isn't it? As God's people, we don't know how the story is going to end. Well, in one sense, we do, of course. We know the big picture, don't we? We know that um, at, uh, at the end of our life here on earth, we will be raised again. We will meet Jesus. We will live with him forever in the new creation. That's the big story. We do know the end. But before that, between now and then, we don't know how the story will end. We don't know what's going to happen next year. We don't know what's going to happen next week. We don't even know what's going to happen today after we walk out from church. We don't know how God will use the job interview that you might have on Monday or the stressful situation you have with your boss at work or the pressure you might feel fitting in at school or the assignment deadlines at uni or the family crisis where it seems like relationships with those that you love are unravelling in front of you. What on earth is going on? What's going to happen? It looked like Saul's donkeys being lost was just dumb, random bad luck. But they weren't. The random details and coincidences and even the bad, what seems to us as bad luck and disasters of our life, God is behind us all, behind them all. He's pulling the strings. Sometimes we can look back in hindsight and see, yes, definitely we can see what God was doing in that. But often, even in hindsight, we don't know. We just don't know why God allows things to happen but what we can be sure of is that in everything that happens his hidden kindness is at work even in the bad things he shapes us and molds us into the person he wants us to be the details matter to God our lives and apparently trivial concerns matter to God These random details in this story are there for a reason. To show us that details matter to God. Well, just as we hear that Saul finds Samuel, suddenly the focus of the story changes to Samuel. And we get a very different perspective of what's going on. We go from being in the dark about where this story is heading to discovering that actually, yes, it is God who's pulling the strings. And it's him who's working out the details for a very definite purpose. And that's our second point. We see in this story God's revealed kindness. And the plan is laid out for Samuel in verses 15 and 16 that Aaron again read to us. Verse 15, now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel. About this time tomorrow I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him ruler over my people, Israel. He will deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. I have looked on my people for their cry has reached me. 
So the lost donkeys, the servant finding the coin, uh, even the, the, the young women at the well who gave them directions, God, they were all part of God's plan to lead Saul to Samuel. So when Samuel finds Saul, Samuel knows what's going on, but Saul still doesn't. He's still in the dark. Despite the rebellion of Israel that we, that we saw in chapter 8, remember they had rejected God as their king, demanded a human king just like, so they could be just like the nations. Despite all that, God doesn't abandon his people. He provides for them a king that he chooses. And it's significant what he says in these verses about why he does that and what this king will do. Remember back in chapter 8, Samuel had warned the people about the dangers of a human king, how he will take, 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 take your sons to be in his army, take your daughters to be bakers and perfumers. And ultimately, he said that you'll become slaves to this king. It's not going to end well. So we might reasonably expect at this stage God to give them the kind of king that they deserved. But instead of that, verse 16, God will give them a king who will deliver them from their enemies, from the Philistines. And then notice God adds, I have looked on my people for their cry has reached me. He responds to them in compassion, not judgment. Instead of giving Israel what they deserve, he responds in compassion and and kindness. He refuses to let them wallow in their misery. Well, when Samuel lays eyes on Saul, God speaks to him again, verse 17. When Samuel caught sight of Saul, the Lord said to him, This is the man I spoke to you about. He will govern my people. The NIV doesn't have a brilliant translation of this. A better translation would be, He will restrain my people. That's literally what the Hebrew means. And again, that shows God's grace. He provides a king who will restrain his people from their sin. Not completely, but to a a certain extent at least, he, he will restrain them to protect them, to look after them despite what they've done. And so for the reader, the pieces of the puzzle are starting to come together. The Israelites ask for a king. God raises up this man, Saul, which, remember, means asked for. God gives his people what they ask for as his chosen king. And friends, this ought to be a tremendous comfort to us because actually we are all like Israel, aren't we? We've all made dumb, stupid decisions in our lives. And we'll continue to do so. Things that actually, we may even ask God for dumb things, things that actually aren't good for us. But God never treats us as we fully deserve. He doesn't throw his hands in the air and give up on us, even when we turn our backs on him. Even his discipline to us is a kindness. And in a sense, giving Israel a king was an act of of discipline. Remember, they had definitely asked for a king for bad reasons. So God 
giving them a king was to help them to see that actually it wasn't the best decision to ask for a king. And in the long run, of course, it does end up causing Israel a great deal of grief. But we're getting ahead of ourselves at this stage. At this point, God was providing a king that would do them good, who would restrain them to an extent, deliver them from their sin and deliver them from their enemies. And when God disciplines us, he always has our best in mind. Just like a a loving parent restraining and disciplining their children. Well, back to the story. So Saul and Samuel meet up. Samuel brings Saul to the feast and they, uh, that, that they were having at the time. Saul was presiding over this feast uh, as, as prophet. Uh, he was, they were going to have a big sacrifice and a big feast and they go ahead and do that. Saul becomes the guest of honour. They all have a jolly good time. They eat, drink and be merry uh, and then they go home uh, and Saul uh, goes uh, with Samuel, they spend the night together. Then in the morning, Saul gets up ready to go, happy that he's had a good feed, happy also that he's found his donkeys. Samuel has revealed to him that the donkeys have been found. But now comes the moment when Samuel reveals to Saul the real purpose of them getting together. Verse 27 As they were going down to the edge of town, Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servant to go on ahead of us, and the servant did so, but you stay here for a while so that I give you a message from God. And here's the message. 10 verse 1, Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, saying, Has not the Lord anointed you to to be ruler over his inheritance? In other words, lad, you're going to be king. You're going to be king. And then Samuel gives him a sign that what he says is going to come true. He says, after you leave, you'll come across two men who'll tell you where the, uh, tell you the donkeys have been found. Then you'll go on a bit and you'll find three other men, um, some of them uh, with, a, uh, with, with a goat, with a wine and with some bread. Very specific, three men, these three things. Uh, They're going to give you two loaves of bread. You're going to accept the bread. uh, Samuel is telling him this so to reassure Saul that what he says is going to come true. You really are going to be the king. What I'm telling you really is the word of God. Once again, this is God's grace worked out in in Saul's life. God's now revealing his kindness that says, yes, he really was with Saul. And it's only as God reveals to Saul and to Samuel and to the reader through his word that he had a plan to make Saul king that we know and they know in hindsight that the donkeys and and all this complicated story was all orchestrated by God. This was all part of God's kindness and God's plan from the beginning. And that's the way it works for us as well, isn't it? He's, uh, in God's kindness, he has revealed his plan to us 
As I said before, not the details, not, not what's going to happen to you today. But he's told us that we have been chosen. He's told us that since the beginning of time, we are his children. We were chosen to be his children. He's told us that Jesus died for us and through faith in him, we have forgiveness and new life in him. He's promised us that he will keep hold of us and never let us go. Friends, that's the big picture that should be of enormous comfort to us. It's a promise that, that will not be broken. And that's the framework that helps us understand the details. The lost donkeys of our life, the ups and downs, the disasters and the joys. When we go through things, when we don't understand what's going to happen, when we don't know the future, when we don't even know the reason for the past, we can see it through that grid of the promises that have been revealed to us. When we go through those things, we usually don't have much idea of why God allows them. But the things that God has revealed, that big picture gives us the confidence that God is with us and he has a plan in all those details. Well, back to our story, there's one last detail that Samuel reveals to Saul. Let's pick it up uh, in verse 5. Remember Samuel had just told him that he'd meet three men that give him two loaves of bread. And then Samuel goes on, after that you'll go to Gibeah of God, where there is a Philistine outpost. As you approach the town, you will meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high place with lyres, timbrels, pipes and harps being played before them. And they will be prophesying. The Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully on you and you will prophesy with them. And you will be changed into a different person. Whoa, these are, these are big things that Samuel is predicting. A couple of things to note here. A Gibeah of God, it means hill of God. There is a Philistine outpost. Why is that mentioned? Why is... Well, well the fact that the, the hill of God is in God's country... This is very much part of Israel. The fact that there is a Philistine outpost, that's God's enemies have got a military presence in Israel, well, that would have sounded outrageous because it is outrageous for the reader and for God's people. That should not happen. A foreign army in God's own country. So we're left wondering what this king was going to do. Remember, Saul was a king who Samuel had prophesied was going to deliver God's people from the Philistines. What's he going to do now when there's an outpost of Philistines on the hill of God? Well, we'll come back to that shortly. Well, then, um, when Saul meets his prophets, these prophets coming along playing music and prophesying, he's going to start prophesying with them. And the Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully on him. What are we to make of that? Well, that brings us to our third point. As the focus of chapter 10 turns to Saul becoming king, we are left wondering what sort of king will Saul be? Will he be a man of God? 
What sort of king will he be? Is he going to turn out like Samuel? Well, chapter 10 doesn't give us the answer. It actually leaves us guessing. It gives us hints that actually it could go either way with Saul. There are hints that he has flaws and they could even be fatal flaws. And there are hints that it could go well and that he could be a good king. Firstly, is Saul fatally flawed? So I said we come back to Saul coming across the military garrison of Philistines at this hill of God and that Samuel said he'd come across the prophets and he'd prophesy. So verse 6, the Spirit of God will come powerfully upon you and you will prophesy with him. You will be changed into a different person. Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Now that expression, you will, the Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, is the very same expression that we come across several times in the book of Judges. And three times referring to Samson. Remember Samson, the wild man um, who, who has supernatural strength given by God? Well, that phrase is used three times with him. Once when he killed a lot, before he killed a lion. Twice when he killed a bunch of Philistines and delivered Israel from the Philistines. And then the so it may well be that Samuel is telling Saul that he will have God's spirit to attack the Philistines. And then notice that God adds, Samuel adds at the end, do whatever your hand um, finds to do for God is with you. Maybe that's God saying that he wants you to attack the Philistines. That's only a hint. It's subtle. But maybe. But Saul does nothing. So it's subtle and it's not slam dunk proof that Saul is being disobedient. But perhaps it shows a tendency that Saul is running away from his responsibilities. And then put together with what comes after may further suggest that. So the story goes on. Saul runs into these prophets. He prophesies. Uh, it comes time for then, then for Saul to be declared king. So Samuel's already told Saul that he's going to become king. Samuel, uh, Saul knows that. But it hasn't been declared to all the people yet. Later in chapter 10, um, Samuel gathers the people and declares Saul publicly to be king. So firstly, he reminds the people that they have rebelled against God by asking for a king. Chapter 10, verse 19, But you have now rejected your God, who saves you out of all your disasters and calamities. And you have said, No, appoint a king over us. So now present yourself before the Lord by your tribes and clans, and I'm going to show you your king. And so he lines up the tribes... He casts lots and in the Old Testament that was often used as a way of God 
uh, showing who he chooses. Uh, and so the, the, the tribe of Benjamin is taken. Remember that Saul's tribes? Then the clan of Saul's family, a clan is like an extended family, Saul's clan is chosen. Then the, the lot is cast again and Saul, the man, is chosen. Saul is the one who's going to be king. So then the dramatic moment arrives, the trumpets sound, the king is about to be revealed. And then verse 21, But when they looked for him, Saul, he was not to be found. So they inquired further of the Lord, Has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, Yes, he has hidden himself among the supplies. Bit of an anticlimax, not the greatest start for a king. Saul was running away and hiding. Why was Saul running away? Is he running away from his responsibilities, from obeying God? Remember, he knows very clearly that, that he's going to be king. It's not a surprise for him at this stage. Or was it just a very human response to someone who's shy? Is it genuine humility? Feeling a healthy sense of being inadequate for the task? Well, we just don't know. The author leaves us guessing. The text is deliberately ambiguous. But there's at least these hints that perhaps Saul is going to be a flawed king. Perhaps he won't obey the word of the Lord. Perhaps he won't live up to his responsibilities. But then on the other hand, perhaps he'll turn out well. Perhaps he'll be a saviour who'll save the people. And again, there are hints that point in that direction. We've already seen in verse 7, when God's Spirit comes powerfully upon Saul, uh, that God will be with him. Then verse 9, as Saul turned to leave to Samuel, God changed Saul's heart. And all these signs were fulfilled that day. So God gave him a new heart. And that, that is meant to be seen in a positive light. Saul prophesied. Then there's one little detail at the end of the chapter. So Saul is eventually found, hiding among the baggage. He's proclaimed to be king. Um, the people cry out, long live the king, everyone's happy. Saul is, 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 um, is, is accepted and, and, and uh, shown to be the leader of the people. But then there are a few grumblers at the end. Some conspiracy theorists who were anti-government and anti-Saul. Verse 27, But some scoundrels said, How can this fellow save us? They despised him and brought him no gifts. But Saul kept silent. They're the very last words of chapter 10. The very last words that we left with about Saul. And he's shown to be in a pretty good light. He's showing admirable self-restraint at this point towards his enemies. And put together, we see this man chosen by God, he's given God's spirit, God gives him a new heart, and he shows self-restraint and humility by overlooking the taunts of his enemies. Surely this man has at least the potential to be a good king. Now, of course, we have the benefit of knowing how the story ends, don't we? But at this point, 
when Saul has just been chosen to be king, he has the potential to go either way, to be good or bad. God gives him a real choice, real freedom to choose. And friends, isn't that the same with us? God gives us a brain to make decisions. He gives us the dignity of having free choice, of having the responsibility for choosing whether we are going to follow God as my king or am I going to choose my own way. Well, to finish off, we've seen that Saul starts off as king with two doors open to him. He is definitely a man with flaws. The question is, will they prove fatal? Or will he overcome those flaws and will he prove to be a good king? A man of God. He shows hints of having a heart for God. Perhaps a certain humility and a willingness to forgive his enemies. Will he prove to be the king who delivers Israel? But if we fast forward through Israel's history, we see other kings with potential as well. Some of them turn out to be much better than Saul turned out. People like David, who turns out to be a very good king. But even David, even the best of kings, failed to walk with God completely. None of them prove able to completely deliver Israel from their enemies until Jesus. He alone was humble enough to give up his rights and his desires to save for the sake of the people. He alone had the humility to forgive his enemies, saying even while he was being killed by them on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they've done. He alone is able to deliver us from our greatest enemy, our sin and our rebellion against our King. Let's pray. Get the band up as we pray. Father God, we thank you for this story in 1 Samuel 9 and 10. We thank you for your kindness uh, to the people, even as they rebelled against you, even though they deserved Uh, to be abandoned by you. They deserve to be given up to their sin and yet you continue to show kindness to them. Thank you that you continue to show kindness to us. Thank you, Father, that you have shown us through your revealed kindness that the story ends well for us and so we can be confident that the details of today and tomorrow, next week and next year that you will work through the good and the bad for our good and that you continue to love us and have your hand on us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.